the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Is this what Acts 17.26 is saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not even close to saying this. This verse has absolutely nothing to do with uh, racial intermarriage. It is referring, look at verse 26 again. Let me read the beginning of it. He made from one every nation of man. He's talking about nations. The nations, he just says God has set the boundaries of nations. It's not about marriage. It's about nations. Hello and welcome to our radio Bible class, Verse by Verse. My name is Peter Silseth, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guide, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff, as he takes us through God's Word step-by-step. Pastor Steve is the senior pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside, and these daily Bible classes are adapted from his pulpit ministry by Verse by Verse Ministries. Today we start a very exciting and interesting study in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. This is the first part of a three-part message entitled, The Prophecy of Noah, taken from the series, Mankind, One Race. All that has happened down through the years got its start from the occurrences found in the book of Genesis. Geographically, where did we come from? Why do I speak the language I speak? Within our world today, we have 195 countries, 28 that have begun since the 1990s, and over 266 languages and dialects. But from where did all of these get their beginning? As we start our study, we will get the answers to those questions. Let's join in on Pastor Steve's study of Genesis chapter 9. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9 as we continue our ongoing study of the book of Genesis, the epistle of Moses to everybody. Genesis chapter 9, and I'd like us to read verses 18 through 29, so you'll see the whole setting of this uh, fascinating portion of Scripture. Beginning in verse 18, now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. I should say, and just planted a vineyard. It stops there. Okay. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from the wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, 
Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. These verses constitute one of the most unusual uh, stories found in the book of Genesis. I don't think anybody would debate that. This is a rather bizarre little story. It's one that has intrigued, puzzled, absolutely troubled some students of the Bible. Now, the story itself is not difficult to, uh, to understand. The story in and of itself is not hard to understand. The story is this. Noah became drunk, took his clothes off while in a drunken stupor, and fell asleep in his tent. One of his sons, Ham, saw him, but his um, uh, other sons, Shem and Japheth, covered him. As a result of this incident, Noah pronounced a uh, prophetic curse on Ham's son, his youngest son, Canaan, and a prophetic blessing on Shem and Japheth. Now, that's the story in a nutshell, but what troubles us is not so much the story, but how to interpret the story. That's what's troubling. That's what's puzzling. Uh, not the story. It's not difficult to understand. There are two basic questions that, uh, that most of us have, uh, interpreters have, as they come to the story. Number one, what exactly did Ham do to Noah that resulted in such a harsh curse? That's what puzzles most people. W- what did he actually do? Number two is, why was Ham's son Canaan cursed instead of Ham? What did Canaan do? Why should you curse the son when it was the father who committed this sin? Now, the key to interpreting the story, and I really believe that this is the the heart of what we want to look at, is, um, is really going back to the original purpose and message of Genesis. I really don't think that you can get the richness of this passage unless you you remind yourself what Genesis is about. The book of Genesis is written, keep in mind, to the Jewish nation before they entered the land of Canaan. Now, the, the term Canaan ought to give a hint to you because Ham's youngest son, the one who will be cursed, is Canaan. So there's some connection. The son of Canaan, the Israelites are camped uh, before long, they will enter the lands of Canaan. And Moses has written this book to them in order to explain to them such basic truths about themselves, such as where did they come from? What was their origin? He will tell them it's uh, a son of Shem named Abram. He's also going to tell them in this book God's purpose in bringing, in, bringing them into existence. It's to be a blessing to the nations, to be a, a one people that worship the Lord properly. And then he's going to tell them where they're headed. They're in the wilderness somewhere, probably at this point camped at Mount Sinai, but they will enter the land of Canaan. And he's going to tell them how they should live and be different from the Canaanites. And he's also going to tell them of their marvelous future. That is, that is the purpose and message of Genesis. Not to answer our scientific uh, questions, not to give 20th century American Christians all the answers to what we face today, but it's to tell the Jewish people who they were, where they were headed, and what they were about. Now, if, if you keep this in mind, the purpose of Genesis, then the story of the curse of Canaan begins to make sense. In fact, everything else is actually secondary and incidental to this passage, except the heart of it is the prophetic curse that, God, that, that Noah 
And God, through Noah, made upon Canaan. And the blessing that God, through Noah, made upon Shem and also somewhat to Japheth. That's the heart of it. Everything else is really secondary. So while we need to, to still figure out and interpret some things in the story, I want you to understand the basic message of this story is to portray the characteristics of the three branches of, of the human race, the offspring of Noah. He had three sons, only three sons. And the purpose and passage is really all about telling us the, the human characteristics of these three branches of humanity. Everything else is secondary. You see, when Noah pronounced his oracle, he was making a prophetic statement. He didn't just awake from his slumber and as a father enraged at what happened, said something. This was a prophetic statement about the destinies of the descendants of his three sons, which constitute all of us. All of us come in that category. Each one of us here is a descendant, not only of Adam and Eve, but of one of these three boys, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And it was God's explanation to Israel of their destiny, their destiny to be blessed by God, to also share, uh, have Japheth share in the blessing of Shem, but also it was their destiny by God's sovereignty to conquer the Canaanites. They would enter their land and they would conquer them. Everything else, I've said this, I'm going to say it again, everything else is secondary to the main message of the future history of the human race. Now, that is the primary message of this passage. If you keep that in mind, it really makes sense. However, there are uh, several truths that while they may not be the primary message here, there are several truths and relevant, applicable principles that emerge from this passage. Let me give you a few. For one thing, there are a number of racial issues that emerge from this passage. Some people think, for example, that God put a curse on black-skinned people, and they use this passage of Scripture to justify it. I want you to know we will study that next week, but they, they are absolutely wrong. They are so wrong, it's incredible that they could call themselves students of the Bible and come up with that. But that is what some do. Some look at this passage of Scripture and they, they try to justify past slavery of black people. Also, not only that racial issue, but another one, how many races are there? How many races, according to the Bible, are there? And what about this question? Does Scripture prohibit marriage between races, between people groups? I think there are some important deductions that can come, biblical deductions and thinking that ought to come from this passage of Scripture. Also, there's the issue of Noah's drunkenness. Here was a godly man. Here was the only righteous man prior to the flood. And yet in this passage of Scripture, he is a drunk old man lying naked, lying naked in his tent. What a disgrace. Is there a lesson there for us? I think there is. So as we study these verses, uh, in order for you to get a handle on it, I've outlined it, and it's not easy to outline this because it's, it's hard to just kind of nail it with one theme, but uh, in order for you to get a handle on it, I, I suggest this outline. It's broken into three sections, the sons of Noah, and the sections are all centered around Noah himself. The sons of Noah, the prophecy of Noah, and then finally the death of Noah, and it'll take us a, a few weeks to go through this. 
We will get back to our study in a moment. I want to welcome those of you who may have just joined us. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible school of the air taught by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Maybe you can relate to this personal illustration. As a child, two of my favorite candies were Good and Plenty, the white and pink candy-coated capsule with licorice inside, and the famous M&Ms with a variety of colors. As I ate these, I had a habit of separating the pink from the whites, or grouping all the same color M&Ms together and eating them systematically. Now, if none of you have done that, I might have something wrong with me. In any case, although I separated the colors, when I put them in my mouth and ate them, they all tasted the same. All the good and plenty were licorice, and all the M&Ms were chocolate, regardless of the coating. We have learned that God created the human race, composed of different colors, groups, and languages, but still one human race. Let's continue our class with Pastor Steve as he unravels this difficult passage. Let's begin by looking at the sons of Noah. I'll repeat verses 18 and 19. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. With the flood behind them and God's rainbow covenant given, Moses now makes a very clear statement about the sons of Noah. He calls them by name. There are only three of them. Unusual because in that day and age, most fathers had a lot more children than just three, but these were the only three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then Moses mentions that Ham had a son named Canaan. Actually, Ham had several sons, but Canaan is very important to this passage of Scripture. So there are three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then Moses tells us that from these three men, the whole earth was populated As I said before, every one of us sitting in this room today, in fact, everyone in the whole world can date their ancestry back to these three sons of Noah, which leads us to some very interesting deductions. I mean, there isn't a whole lot in interpreting that. We're all from Noah's sons. That's that's what he's saying. But I think there are some important deductions, and I I would encourage you to think uh, with me on this, follow this as well as maybe jot down some notes. First of all, it tells us that the concept of the various uh, races uh, is not really a biblical concept at all. It's a human invention. It's a human invention. The black race, Oriental, Asian, Caucasian, all that are man's categories. God never says it that way. According to Genesis 9, there is only one race of man... We call it the human race. There's only one race of man with three families within that race. That is a biblical perspective. One race, three families within that one race. Now, the question you might ask then is where did the various people groups come from? What we commonly call races, let's say races just for the sake of of communication, where did they come from? Where did they come from? Well, Dwayne Gish has written an excellent book, Uh, It's really for children, but I I went through it so I could understand it. It's called The Amazing Story of Creation. And here's what he has to say. Now, Dwayne Gish is a uh, biblical creationist, a man of God, one who knows science, one who knows the Bible. Here's what Dwayne Gish has said in his Amazing Story of Creation. We have that, by the way, in our church library. 
Adam and Eve were not white, black, oriental, or any other particular race. They no doubt were what we understand today as racially mixed. Their children were all likewise a mixture of the genetic traits that have subsequently produced the races. Among these offspring, one would be able to see tendencies toward various races, but since all marriages were mixed, no races emerged. Even after the flood, all humans on the earth were the descendants of the three sons and three daughters-in-law of Noah and his wife, and so they too must have been racially mixed. As they and their descendants repopulated the earth, all peoples intermarried freely, and there was no isolation of genetic characteristics that would produce features inherent in one particular race. At the Tower of Babel, however, God split the human population into small groups by confounding the one language they spoke into many different languages. Each group of people spoke only the language that God gave them. They could no longer talk to the, other, uh, to the people in the other groups, so of course they no longer intermarried with them. Soon the various groups began to migrate to other parts of the world and became geographically isolated from one another. Thus, there was necessarily a lot of intermarriage within each group. That is, it was necessary to find marriage partners from the few people within one's own group, and the children of such marriages also had limited choices. When there are marriages of this kind, the concentration of certain genes is developed. If, for example, the group had a concentration of genes for dark skin and negroid features, then a negro pe uh, people would result. If the group had a concentration of genes found in Oriental people, then the, then the group would give rise to one of the Oriental races. If, on the other hand, the group had a concentration of genes for fair skin and blue eyes, one of the Scandinavian races would emerge. I think that's an accurate and uh, very clear uh, picture of what Genesis is telling us. Now, keeping this in mind, keeping this in mind, we have to ask ourselves an important question. Based on this, what we've just learned, one race, one human race, three different people groups, Adam and Eve, all, all the, uh, the, the sons of Noah had all the genetic uh, uh, makeup of the various races that, that we call races. Keeping that in mind, the question is this, does the Bible forbid marriage between what we call races? Well, I want you to know, some Christians think so. Some Christians think so, and to support their view, they turn to uh, primarily, or at least one passage, Acts chapter 17. So I'd like you to do that. Keep your place in Genesis chapter 9, but let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. I heard a president of a well-known uh, fundamentalist school, college, uh, use this passage of Scripture in explaining to Ted Koppel about uh, why races should not mix, as if Ted Koppel really cared, I thought. But anyway, um, this is what, what he used. The context is this. Paul, in Acts 17, is alone in the city of Athens. He's arrived there before his colleagues, and uh, he's walking about, and uh, he, he's in, his, in his heart, he's smitten because of the idolatry of that city. Paul decides to speak out, and he, uh, he evangelizes the Athenian philosophers. He is witnessing to them. He is telling them about a statue he saw that's labeled to the unknown God. And Paul seizes upon this concept 
Now, they had so many gods they worshipped, they had one that they just said, he's unknown. We don't know who he is. Paul seizes upon that statue, that concept, that idol, to say the God who is unknown to you has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ in creation and all this. And let me tell you about the unknown God, how he can be known. And in the process of doing this, he establishes the fact that this, this God who is unknown to you, who can be known, is the creator he is the creator of heaven and earth. And so the question would logically be, well, where did all the people come from? Did he create them too? And that's where we are when we break in at verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And watch this. This is our key verse. This is the one that the verse that people use to support not mixing the races in marriage. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. And watch this. This is the expression, and the boundaries of their habitation. This is what people seize on. They say, God established one race should be over here and should not mix with a race over here. In fact, I want you to know I, I experienced this firsthand. Before Michelle and I were married, Christian friends of the family told other family members that we should never get married because I was Jewish and she was Gentile. So I have gone through this. I don't know if they use this verse to support it, but I have firsthand experienced that. And as a young believer, it really bothered me. But let's go back to Acts 17. Is this statement in verse 26 that has been used to support not mixing the races, really valid. Is this what God means, that you cannot cross God's boundary lines? In other words, it is against, they say, it is against God's fixed boundaries to have whites marry blacks or orientals marrying whites. And uh, you, they say you just can't mix the races. God has placed these people where he wants them so they shouldn't cross their God-appointed boundaries. Is this what Acts 17.26 is saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not even close to saying this. This verse has absolutely nothing to do with uh, racial intermarriage. It is referring, look at verse 26 again. Let me read the beginning of it. He made from one every nation of man. He's talking about nations. The nations, he just says, God has set the boundaries of nations. It's not about marriage. It's about nations. From the human race, consisting of one family, to one human race with three groups or families, to 195 countries, and 266 plus languages that we have today, it is obvious that this feat was orchestrated by God. As Pastor Steve reminds us to be careful with the scriptures, we need to be sure we form our beliefs based on biblical principles and not form a principle and then search for scripture to back it up. Unfortunately, with this passage, there is much speculation about Noah, his drinking, his sons, and Canaan's curse, about which we have incomplete understanding. We must always interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture, realizing the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. And tomorrow we will dig deeper with Pastor Steve as we search the Scriptures for further understanding and learn why we need to be careful about harboring prejudices. Thank you for listening today. This is Peter Silseth, and you have been listening to Verse by Verse. 
pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through a series of studies from the book of Genesis. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Now his expository or verse-by-verse messages come to your radio through the work of Verse-by-Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. You can listen again to today's broadcast at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or you might like to download it and listen later or share it with a friend. If you do share it, we only ask that you not charge anything for that. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the first of a three-part message on the prophecy of Noah. If you order a CD or a cassette from us, you can listen to the entire message at once without announcements. Just give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve continues through this difficult and controversial passage of Genesis chapters 9 through 11. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse Praise him ye heavens of heavens and Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.